Welcome to the Green Valley Church Podcast, based in San Diego, where we are focused by scripture, unheard in relationships, we serve through strengths, and enthusiastically invite. We're so excited you found us. If you want to learn more about us, go to greenvalleychurch.com. Now let's get into today's message. All right, good morning. Good to see you today. I'm glad uh, that you're here. We're continuing that series that you just saw the uh, the intro video for, and I always uh, I love it every week. The music gets in my head um, for it, and it reminds me we're ready to go, uh, as well as the uh, sigh of Jesus when he looks at the, the sigh is what I love. You know, shakes his head, sighs. No, that's not actually what I meant to communicate. So what we're trying to do is look at these phrases, these expressions uh, that we are very familiar with and see if they're in keeping with his teaching and what he said. Uh, So this morning we get into another one and I hear it all the time. It almost always goes on challenge. Uh, I perhaps knew someone that was facing a big decision they were really struggling about which way to go. I knew that they were kind of, you know, vacillating. They were really um, trying to figure it out. But now they have, suddenly they have clarity. Now they know what to do. We ask, well, how did you figure out? They respond, I just went with my heart. I let my feelings be my guide. You know, it just felt right. And somehow that seals the deal. It is assumed that they now have discerned God's plan for them in what was otherwise a very sticky situation. It felt right. More than that, we often get that counsel as well. We're, trying, we're struggling with the decision. We're trying to know which way to go. And people say, well, just trust, trust your heart. Go with your gut. Lean into your intuition. Let your feelings be your guide. And you can't argue with it. To argue would almost be like challenging the Bible. They felt good about it. There's nothing more you could say. But is that how Jesus taught us to find our way? Is that Jesus' method for discerning God's path for our lives? Is that what Jesus said? As I mentioned this morning, we cover uh, the, the, the serious stuff Jesus never said. We today cover the fourth installment along the way. For several weeks, we've considered a number of other common expressions and pieces of advice that people often assume is true, things that they feel that Jesus endorsed, expressions that are echoed in every corner of our culture and even championed by well-meaning believers. Uh, But each of them, if you take a closer look, we discover that they are actually misconceptions, they are untruths, they are not helpful. More than that, if we... If we don't see beyond them, then they keep us from embracing what Jesus did say on the subject, which we will see today is way more directive for our lives than what the common wisdom of the day will tell us. And this is so important, so important for you, for me. I mean, if you really believe that Jesus cares about the intricacies of your life, if you really believe that he is involved in the details of your day, if you believe that he counts every hair on your head, then why wouldn't we want to incorporate his thoughts into our big decisions? Today we are asking ourselves, did Jesus really teach, just go with your heart? In other words, just let your feelings be your guide. Is that something he counseled his followers to abide by? 
Put differently, can we count on our gut as a reliable gauge for decision-making? Whether choosing a preschool for your daughter or a retirement community for your dad, whether you're buying a house, taking a job, proposing to your girlfriend, does it really simply come down to how you feel about it? Just go with your heart. Is that what Jesus taught? Open with me, if you will, to John chapter 14, starting in verse 19. John 14, 19. Uh, show me those lit up phones if you find it. Anybody following along on their phone? I'd love to know. There we go. Perfect. Love it. Uh, and uh, in your uh, paper Bible as well, if you have it, John 14, 19. And hold, when you find it, hold your place. Um, uh, I want to begin by talking about how we can easily make decisions based on the standard advice. Um, so let me begin with two examples of feeling-based decisions. Two different scenarios. In the first scenario, many people elevate peace as the green light. The feeling of peace is the indicator that that's what they should do. They say, well, it must be right if I have a peace about it. Whichever route gives me peace, that's the right one. I don't have to wrestle anymore. I now have God's will because I have a peace. Peace then becomes the decider, the authority, the gavel. Whichever way you feel peaceful about, that is the green light. Now, we would all agree that peace is a great aim in the spiritual journey. Paul said, if it is possible, live at peace with all people. We would all agree that peace is an admirable aim, a, a great goal, something that we should, we should aim for, hope for, one of the fruits of the Spirit. But many take it as an irrefutable indication of what they should do. Here's how it goes. You consider all the options, the pros, the cons. Maybe you make a list. Talk to a friend or two. Sleep on it for a night or two. And then go with what feels the most peaceful. You're good to go. It just feels right. And honestly, that's what a lot of us do. And many of our decisions are based simply on that. It's so easy to go there. And if this is the way that um, it shows up in your life, then the opposite is also true, uh, is also your guide. Agitation, then, is the red light. If you're bothered by it, if you're wrestling with it, if you're unsettled about going a certain direction, unsure, then that clearly is the wrong road. Caution, red light, I'm agitated. So sometimes the let your feelings be your guide approach to decision making shows up because we elevate peace as the green light. That's one way anyway. Scenario number two. When let your feelings be your guide approach to decision making takes this route, scenario number two, unlike the first scenario, there are others who elevate panic as the green light. Let me, let me you know, Go into that a little bit more. Uh, the feeling of uneasiness is the indication this is what they're supposed to do. This is actually somewhat popular in some Christian circles. They would tell you that if you're feeling apprehensive about something, God must be in it. If it feels risky, if it feels scary, if it feels panicky, then God wants you to face your fears and do it. For example, say someone is afraid to... Uh, is, has a fear of speaking in front of large crowds. And it makes their palms sweat just, just thinking about it. 
Um, or you're challenged to go on a missions trip to a jungle somewhere, and your idea of serving the Lord is, is making a meal for a sick friend. In other words, you have no peace whatsoever about it at all. Then they will tell you, well, then you should do it. Why? Because that scary feeling is the indicator. God wants you to trust him. If you feel nervous, embarrassed, out of control, out of your comfort zone, excellent. That feeling means that you should do it. Faith in this school of thought is going out on a limb. But again, if you think about it, it is still feeling-based. Does that mean that the person who's excited about a missions trip shouldn't go? That the one who is comfortable with overseas travel should stay home? This viewpoint is simply another version of the first style. Some take the feeling of peace as the indicator. Others take the feeling of panic as the green light. Both views are built on the same premise. Let your feelings be your guide. So is that the way we should make decisions? Go with your heart. Be guided by your feelings. Peace, panic, comfort, insecurity. Let your feelings be the indicator of what you're supposed to do. Is that what Jesus taught? Is that what Jesus said? Well, it turns out Jesus gave us three important directives in John 14. And by now you found it, John 14, 19. And before we get to the directives, let me sort of unpack the story as we get into it. As you get to verse 19, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. It's just hours before his eventual arrest and execution. And as we listen in, Jesus is in the process of handing the baton off to the disciples, entrusting them with his mission, knowing that his hours here now have been, are short. These are tender words, and no doubt hard for the disciples to hear. For example, Jesus says in verse 19, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In other words, death would separate Jesus from the world, but somehow the disciples would still see him. And it's easier for us to, to understand what Jesus meant from this side of the resurrection. Jesus would live again and ascend to heaven, which meant that the Christian movement would now be in the hands of the disciples as Jesus lives his life through them. Again, Jesus will no longer be accessible to the people of this world on earth. Instead, the disciples now would be the ones who would carry forward his mission as he lives through them. Jesus explains this in verse 20 and 21. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus explains that they will be empowered by him, that he would live through them, and he would reveal himself through them as they follow his instructions. There would be a rapport that was bonded by loyalty to what he had said. In other words, if you look at Jesus' words closely here, his plan is to live in them and work through their obedience. So that's a lot for the disciples to take in, which causes one of the disciples, a guy named Judas. By the way, did you know there were two Judases in Jesus' band of followers? 
Uh, There was the infamous one who betrayed Jesus. And there was this one, the lesser known Judas. Think about it, he was probably one of the last guys ever named Judas. The name kind of plummeted in popularity after that. Anyway, this lesser known disciple asked Jesus this question in verse 22. It says, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I appreciate that question. Good on you, Judas, not Iscariot. Someone needed to ask it. He's basically asking, Lord, instead of leaving the planet and trusting your mission to us, instead of leaving us to discern your will and uncover your plans to figure out what to do and feel our way in the dark, why don't you just show yourself to everyone? Prove that you're the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Get everybody on board. Then we don't have to convince people. Then we don't have to fan the flames of this movement and carry the torch. Why don't you just show yourself to everyone? Mission accomplished. It's an understandable question. But as is so often the case with Jesus, he doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, he stays on message. He reinforces his plan to come and live in them and work through their obedience. Verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Man, this is not how Judas, not Iscariot, expected Jesus to answer. But what a profound answer. Jesus is saying, the way I will show myself, the way you will know that I am real and will reach those around you, is that you will actually do what I taught. And as you do it, as you obey, it will be me living through you. I'm going to show up in your obedience. And just in case they didn't get it the first time, Jesus says it the opposite way in verse 24. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So let that sink in. The way Jesus reveals himself and the way he wants to demonstrate uh, that we love him and he loves us, the way that that love plays itself out is when we actually do what he taught. This leads to the first thing Jesus taught about making decisions. Instead of allowing feelings to be your guide, let Jesus' teaching be the green light. Let Jesus' teaching be the green light. Do what he says. Again, verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Someone says, why all this this emphasis on obedience? I mean, I thought the most important thing was loving God. It is. It always is. But Jesus says we demonstrate that we love him by doing what he says. Loyalty is an outgrowth of love. God's instructions then are communicated in the Bible and they are the clearest directives we have on knowing how we should proceed and what we should do and what should influence our decisions. Instead of obeying our feelings, then we need to obey Jesus' words. And as it turns out, many of the decisions we face are clearly addressed in Jesus' teaching. 
Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbors, yourself. Build your life upon God's word. Deal with your own failures first. Don't give up. Pay your taxes. Live generously. Side with mercy. Live for eternity. Let your good work shine. So much of Jesus' teaching are applicable to our everyday decisions. Add to that the greater counsel of the Bible at large. And so many of our decisions are truly covered in this book that he gave us. We, we never have to wonder if we should give thanks always, avoid immorality, honor our parents, be faithful in marriage, respect authorities, work hard, care for widows, forgive one another, consider the future, invest in eternity, just to name a few. Jesus' teaching, along with the overall counsel of the Bible, is clearly spelled out in the Bible that we have. Years ago, I had a coffee shop meeting with a guy I knew, a long-time Christian leader, adult Sunday school teacher, the kind of person who would regularly be sought out for, for wise counsel. He wanted to meet and explain to me why, though still married, he was leaving his wife for another woman. I recall that he said that he usually would agree with the Bible that an affair was wrong, but in this case, he said, God has given me a peace. And in his mind, that was proof that it was right. Why? Because, well, it felt right. The feeling outweighed God's command. He would fall into scenario number one that I mentioned earlier. He elevated the feeling of peace as the green light. Or consider the second scenario that I mentioned earlier. Imagine someone is terrified of public speaking. She loses her train of thought. She freezes up every time. So when she saw that they needed help at the upcoming church compassion banquet, she signed up to help set tables. But then someone asked her to give the opening remarks and the devotion at the start of the program. Suddenly all the feelings rushed in, utter panic. But then she thought, maybe this uneasy feeling is a sign that I'm supposed to do it. Maybe that's what it means to have great faith. But then she looked at what Jesus actually did in his ministry. And she noticed that whenever he commanded someone or commended someone for their faith, it was always because they were trusting God for situations they were already in, things they were victims of. It was never problems that they put themselves into artificially raising the stakes. Instead, she noticed that Jesus taught, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Maybe it was okay for her to focus on deeds rather than words. And she felt better about setting tables. In the end, it's obedience, not feelings. Good decisions don't always make your heart race. Sometimes it's simply doing a good job over and over again, being faithful, even if it's routine. In the same way, good decisions aren't always comfortable. Sometimes it requires hard change from within, stretching us to heal and to grow. But always Jesus' teaching is the starting place, not feelings, good or bad. Feelings are unreliable. 
Instead of allowing feelings to be your guide, let Jesus' teaching be the green light. So let's continue. Jesus is on a roll here explaining to the disciples the priority of obedience. It comes here over and over again in the final night that he spoke to them before his crucifixion. And he hardly takes a breath. He keeps right on going. I mean, if he had stopped for a moment, if he had paused even for a second, perhaps Judas, not Iscariot, would have asked another question. Perhaps he would have jumped in. Lord, what if it's not clear how your teaching applies to our situation? What if we don't have chapter and verse on it? What if we don't immediately recall something that you told us in the heat of the moment? How, what happens if we don't know how your teaching applies to a situation that we face? Well, Judas, not scary, didn't have time to ask that question, but Jesus continued on. Look at verse 25 and 26. He said, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. This leads to the second directive Jesus gave us about making good decisions. Let the Holy Spirit apply and bring to mind the scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit apply and bring to mind the scriptures. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten the idea that the, the, the main thing the Holy Spirit does is make us feel good. But it's interesting. This is not the primary thing that Jesus said the Spirit would do in our lives. Instead, the Spirit's chief role in our lives is taking what Jesus said and applying it and bringing it to mind. It's the whole process of allowing God's truth to become um, revealed in our lives. The Spirit is a process of sanctification, of making us more and more in line with Jesus' truth. He works in concert with the truth of the Bible to make it real in our lives. That's the Spirit's role. When what the Bible teaches still leaves us uncertain about what to do, the Holy Spirit guides our thinking, helping us apply principles and themes of the Bible to the real-life complexities that we face. Have you ever experienced that? I know for me, I've, I've been in conversations, and I can tell I'm, I'm tempted to get agitated, frustrated, impatient with words that definitely won't help. And then the Spirit nudges me, reminding me of, of say, 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Have you ever had that experience? where the Holy Spirit takes God's word and applies it in a very direct and personal way to a situation that you face. The Holy Spirit loves to do that. He loves to take God's word and apply it to very real situations that we face. At just the right time, it comes to mind. So when it's not clear, ask the Spirit to help you see the principles of God's word or the application of it to what you face. So the second directive Jesus gave us about making good decisions is this, let the Holy Spirit apply and bring to mind the scriptures, which Jesus said was one of the chief things that he would do. Finally, look at what Jesus says next because it's absolutely critical to our discussion. 
Verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And of course, at first glance, that seems like maybe feelings, in this case, the feeling of peace, could also be an important part of discerning God's plan and purpose in the decisions that you face. As if the, the outline here should be, first, let Jesus' teaching be the guide, then let the Holy Spirit apply that teaching, and third, then let peace be the ultimate decider. That's if you stop here. But then this verse continues. Jesus goes on. Let's read it again. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Again, I do not give to you as the world gives. Jesus does not say, I give you peace and the world doesn't. And therefore, if you have peace, it must be from God. And if you don't, it's from the world. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. In other words, I do not give you peace as the world gives peace. There are two competing kinds of peace. But Jesus' peace is a peace of a completely different kind. There's a peace that Jesus gives, but there is also a peace that the world gives. Two different kinds of peace. And we need to know the difference. If we were simply going for a peace, then we could be misled. Because the world does offer a kind of peace. The world's peace is often based on feelings, or simply finding something to distract us, or make us numb, or shallow. Well, Jesus' peace is rooted in the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And shalom is way more than just a calm feeling. It is, it is being right with God. God's peace means this shalom peace, which is a right relationship with God, a right relationship with His world, knowing His blessing, regardless of our fickle feelings. So the third directive Jesus gave us about making good decisions is this, discern what comes from God and what doesn't. Discern what comes from God and what doesn't. Is this what He gives or what the world gives? Say you have a peace about a decision. Is that peace from God? Rooted in being right with Him, knowing His blessing, right with His world? Or is it from the world? Built on avoidance, escapism, running away. Discern what is of God and what isn't. Or say you're agitated about a decision. Is that the Spirit's prompting? Jesus ends verse 27 this way. I've saved it till now. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus' goal with his teaching was to calm your hearts and remove your fear. So is this unsettledness from God? A natural outgrowth of God's truth in your life in keeping with his call upon your life? Could be. It will be calm, though, and free of fear. Or is it more likely from the world, troubling your heart and filling you with fear? The third directive Jesus gave us about making good decisions is this. Discern what is of God and what isn't. And that must be cultivated over time. As we 
allow his principles to take priority over our feelings and his wisdom to take priority over our fear. No matter what, the sons and daughters of God, as those who seek to follow him, as those who would put ourselves in the category of the band of disciples, the, just like us, they were frail and struggling. They needed to know what Jesus told them that night. That no matter what, he wants to live in us and reveal his love for us and our love for him as we obey him. As we embrace his teaching. Recognize that, that feelings can be a very unreliable guide. Instead, and I wrote this down exactly as I want to say it. Instead, we choose obedience to Jesus and his teaching, trusting that the Holy Spirit will remind us of the truth and will help us apply its principles. And along the way, we cultivate a growing spiritual discernment for spirit-infused clarity, allowing us to make good decisions in our complicated lives. In other words, let Jesus, the Spirit, and spiritual discernment be your guide. Thanks for listening to the Green Valley Church Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at greenvalleychurch.com.